2: Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
3: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
2: Happy Friday. Welcome in. It's Fantasy Sports Today as we head toward the Super Bowl Sunday. Plenty to get to here on the show, our predictions, and all of that jazz. Fantasy Sports Today starts now.
3: Sports Today. And good
2: afternoon. Happy Friday as we close out the month of January here on Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizzapia as we get you ready for the Super Bowl on Sunday here in South Florida. We got Sean Blastomachia producing the show. Of course, we have Chris Pavona helping out as well. Uh, we're going to have Buck Showalter on the show coming up. Some very strong comments about everything in baseball. The Astros uh, himself, Derek Jeter. So looking forward to that conversation. And Joe, we're finally on the precipice here couple of days to go to the Super Bowl. I think this is something that everybody really needs to kind of get their minds off everything else. It's just been a a very tough week, two weeks of everything that's been going on in sports, in the world, and uh, I am looking forward to this game on Sunday, and uh, it's really fantastic to me because it looks like uh, everybody has their own opinions, everybody has their their, uh, guesses, and certainly the point spread indicates this could be anybody's game on Sunday.
4: I know that's what they keep saying, but I still think it's going to be the Chiefs with a pretty pretty, pretty good victory. I still think so. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Uh, I won't be here Monday to tell you whether or not it's right or wrong, but I will tell you this much. I still believe that the Chiefs are a better all-around football team than the 49ers. I think the 49ers are a very good football team. We've had a great season. Uh, I'm not saying they don't have a shot to win. Of course they do. They're a good football team and defense does absolutely travel. However, when it comes down to scoring points and it comes down to stopping Patrick Mahomes or stopping Jimmy Garoppolo, I think one of them is way easier to stop. And I feel like this is the moment here we're going to crown the next generation's quarterback. And I think that generation's quarterback is going to be Patrick Mahomes. I think that uh, what he's able to do on the field, athletically, with the coordination he has, the no-look passing, the awareness at this young of an age, the athleticism, the arm strength, all of those things, man. He is is a different kind of quarterback than I think we've ever seen that has all these unique tools. He might not be as fast as Lamar Jackson. Maybe he doesn't have... Um, you know, quite yet the pocket presence of some other, the Peyton Mannings of the world yet. But from a kid who works so hard, from a kid who seems to get it and also is from a sports family, I don't think this moment's going to be too big for him at all. And I think the proving ground last year in the AFC Championship game coming up short, I think that stuck with him a little bit. And that is also one of those things I think is a huge motivating factor. So I think they're going to win this game pretty easily. I, maybe it'll get close at the end. I don't know. We'll see. I could be completely wrong, but I'm going to stick with it. I had the Chiefs going in to the year. I got the Chiefs coming out of the year. The Chiefs are there. So I'm going to stick with that pony and ride them all the way to that championship, baby. So you really think this is going to be a tight one, huh? You think San Fran could actually pull this out?
2: Oh, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. Um, yeah, I really, this of all the Super Bowls, this is the one that I probably like had the least clue on. Um, I mean, historically speaking, this is, in, in terms of the point spread, there's only been one other time in the history or at least I don't want to say history, but the last, I don't know, um, uh, 40 years, maybe 30 years. Let's say say, uh, 30 years. There's only been one other time in the last 30 years where the game was predicted to essentially be closer than this one, and it turned out that way. And that was when uh, Seattle, I mean, New England opened up as a favorite, then Seattle went to a one-point favorite, and everyone knows how that game uh, ended. And it really wouldn't have mattered because even if... Well, actually, it would have mattered. If Seattle would have scored that late touchdown, then they would have covered. But yeah, I mean, that went down to the last play of the game. I, um, Yeah, I could, I could see this really coming down to the last play of the game. San Francisco, unless their defense completely falls apart, which certainly is possible, and, and it did this year against Atlanta, and it did this year against Baltimore. But they, they play this, this ball-control, run-type uh, offense. And um, yeah, I don't think there's any question that they could win this game. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And in general... When it comes to doing these things and making predictions and, and all these other sort of things, the one thing that I've learned through, you know, now I've been doing the wagering stuff probably uh, almost about 10 years, paying a lot more attention to it as opposed to just making bad picks is what I used to do, just take the favorites and go on, um, is that uh, I, I, I fade wherever the money is. Uh, that's usually what I do no matter what. And if you do that, more often than not, you're going to win. And that's, that's usually my tactic when it comes to all uh, professional betting on sports. And the reason for that, Joe, is obvious, right like it's 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 do you, you understand the reason for doing that like it's yes, sir i yeah. i
4: I got you I'm fine yeah. with you
2: yeah, because going against the public is uh is being on the side of the book, and you always want to be on the side of the book. you don't want to be on the side of the public. now, the public does get it right, I mean, it happens it happens a lot, uh it happens forty percent of the time, but there's a big gap in between forty and sixty, you know there's a big gap in between forty five and fifty five there's a big gap between forty seven and fifty three and so I mean, 6% of billions of dollars is going on the house of the books. That's the side that I want to be on. And the public is going to be wrong more than they're right. So the public is on Kansas city here, you know, and that now not as much as maybe some other years, there are a lot of people on San Francisco too. If the public was, uh, you know, betting uh, Kansas city in huge amounts to the point that the line would be Kansas city minus three or minus four. So this one is not really as divided as ones in years past, but, um, You know, I I still feel like the right side is taking Kansas City and you lose like that is the way that I that I feel like it's going to be. But I took the Rams last year. Uh, I took the Patriots the year before that. And I took Atlanta the year before that. So to give you full transparency, now I took Carolina or uh, Denver. I'm sorry. in when Denver beat Carolina. So I got that one right. But I am 0 for 3 in the last three Super Bowls. So I am. Well,
4: you maybe know, you should go against the gut then. doesn't yeah. seem like your guts are really, your not, feelings are really good here. <laughs> On the, the last few years, no. But. Well, okay, let me pose this to you real quick. Tell me, have the 49ers in the playoffs so far faced a team with nearly as good of a complete package of offense and defense that the Kansas City Chiefs offer? Uh,
2: uh, I, I think Minnesota, I, you know, I, I think Minnesota, I think Minnesota, was coming off a high and playing as well as Tennessee was playing to that point that they faced off with.
4: See, but I'm not talking about momentum. I'm talking about true personnel
2: execution. I, I, I I, I can't sit here and say that the body of work for Tennessee was more impressive than it was for Minnesota. The late season body of work for Tennessee was more impressive just when they sort of figured things out at the end of the year. But talent on the side of Minnesota to me? is I just as good as the talent on Tennessee, if not better, but so I'm talking about Kansas city.
4: That's what I'm talking, I'm talking about. Kansas, Kansas
2: city played Tennessee,
4: right? <clears throat> yeah, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is Kansas Houston city has Tennessee. also, Kansas city also has other big victories at the end of the year. And the only other big victory that I thought the 49ers really had, that was impressive at all was going into Seattle and winning. And that was by the skin of their teeth. They also lost to Seattle at home in their building in overtime. They also lost to Baltimore on the road. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is this, They have made the most of every opportunity they've had, and that's all you can do. I don't think they have played a team that is playing as well as Kansas City is playing right now, that has as much personnel as Kansas City has right now, has a quarterback as good, a wide receiver as fast, and possibly also a defense that is as well-rounded right now as the Chiefs defense has played in the last, I would say, six six weeks or so of the season. So that is where, to me, I think we have a, a skewed view of the 49ers just slightly because of what the NFC was this year. And really, I mean, the one thing that we all know always gives the 49ers fits is the quarterback who can move around. The guys that stand up in the pocket like Kirk Cousins, the guys that stand up in the pocket like Aaron Rodgers, they get their butt handed to him by the by this team. This is not a problem for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think this is going to be a problem for the 49ers because Mahomes is exactly that type of quarterback. And I think that's going to give him a big problem on Sunday.
2: Yep. well, we certainly will see. Um, you know, again, when I look at these things, I just go against the public and that's it's not even a breakdown. Um, there's, there's, it, it, this game is a pickem game like it's not even the spread is not really even involved in this one so uh, it's just a tough one for me really tough one but uh do like some props I'll go over some of those a little bit later in the show coming up next you got the opening drive here on fantasy sports today want to make sure you stay tuned to that everything going on in the world of sports on this friday don't go away
1: Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon.
1: Then he pivots, fakes, chucks the big bomb halfway down the field to our hopefully still wide open tailback. I call it...
3: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pia. Fantasy Sports Today presents first play from scrimmage, the opening drive, the first play of the game, the opening play, and all the way for a touchdown.
2: And welcome back. It is the opening drive on Fantasy Sports Today. We close out the fantasy football season. We close out a lot of our football content today. And we end with the top story that happened. uh, I'm going to start over.
4: (laughs) Wow, lost it. (laughs) The story. What's the story, Quake? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right,
2: here we go. Redo on uh, opening drive. (laughs) First time in months, probably. Welcome back. It is the opening drive on Fantasy Sports today. As we close out the month of January, we also close out the football season today here on the show. And let's get started. The opening drive, we got the Carolina Panthers who really appear at this point to be turning the page on everything that's happened in the past, no question. As they decide, Joe, they're parting ways with Greg Olson, doing it in a nice way by saying that they're parting ways with Greg Olson. Uh, Olson's got a very difficult decision to make at this point. Does he play another year in the NFL? Does he go into broadcasting? We know he could succeed at either way. Uh, Olson opening got to be opening up the door for playing one final year wherever he wants, maybe chasing that Super Bowl ring. Certainly a possibility. Had a lot of success with the Bears, a lot of success with the Panthers. Is it possible we see Olsen one more year? Or you think, Joey, heads right to the broadcast booth?
4: If I were him, I'd head right to the broadcast booth. I, I don't get it at this point what Olsen's playing for. I mean, I, I mean, I understand he's trying to play for a ring, but I don't know what's left in the tank. He's had so many injuries the last couple of years, and he's so good on camera. He's a likable guy, obviously a very handsome fellow as well. I, I don't get why you wouldn't just get in the suit, get on NFL Network or any other network for that matter. I, I'll tell you what, if I was ESPN, I'd be all over Greg Olsen trying to get him in there because I think he'd be terrific on TV. But I, I don't know. I, I don't see what the draw is. But then again, who am I to tell a guy to stop playing the game he loves if he thinks he can go out there? There are some teams that could use a tight end but some teams that are contenders that could use a tight end. But I don't still know what Greg Olson has left in the tank. Do you think he has anything left in the tank that actually help a team that is a contender? That would be the kind of team that Olson would want to play for to get that one shot in the ring.
2: Uh, I mean, the tight end position is so fickle every year. Um, you know, my guess is team like Seattle could use him. I know that you know, uh, you know they had a couple of Disley and Hollinger um, Hollister, is it or is it Hollinger Hollister Hollister? Hollister. Hollister. Yeah, Hollister came on late in the year. Um, I, I could see Seattle signing Greg Olson and having him play with Russell Wilson for one season and chasing that ring. Yeah, I mean, there's teams that could use him. Do I think that that's going to happen? Uh probably not. I, I think that it would be better for him. He's had some concussions over the course of his career. He uh, is a great broadcaster, looks great on TV. But if the fire still burns, yeah, I think a team takes a shot on him. He could also you know, do the Antonio Gates thing where he retires, and then comes back when if he's needed by a team that loses a tight end. It's the NFL. Guys get hurt. I could see it. But at the very least, a very good career. Probably not a Hall of Fame career. Probably somebody that will be nominated several times for the Hall of Fame. Maybe gets in eventually one day, but uh, followed his career here at the University of Miami and then in beyond, so congratulations to him. Uh, second down here, speaking of Miami... The Hurricanes program, uh, Joe, brings back an old favorite, Ed Reed, Hall of Famer. I don't know that this will make a huge difference in the program. He did have a cup of coffee coaching with the Buffalo Bills, but he's going to basically be the uh, czar, the overseer of the Miami program. There's a lot of debate going back on social media as to what he exactly will do at the University of Miami. No one's really sure. Will he be involved with the coaching? Will he just be wearing a hat and shaking hands? I don't know the answer to that, but I suppose... Anytime you add one of the greatest players at his position in NFL history to oversee the program that you played for, it's got to be at least a good start. Well, you would think so in theory. I think Ed Reed is a look. Ed Reed is one
4: of the great players to ever play this game. One of my favorite uh, players as well to watch play the game. Um, we've had mixed results with this, though. The super talented player, the figurehead type guy at a place go and mixed results you know you could always go back all the way to magic johnson coaching the lakers (laughs) if you want to remember sometimes it doesn't always work that way where you get uh, the franchise type guys or the guys that you're so proud of in your program coming back and being a big part of that program doesn't always work out i hope it does i mean you would know better than i you know being down there what your thoughts are on you know Do you believe that Ed Reed is a guy that can bring something there in that sense to this uh, to this program? Because, I mean, certainly Miami once upon a time when we were younger was a juggernaut program, the Jimmy Johnson years. And then even post Jimmy Johnson years, Miami, you know, the second part of the U (laughs) 33rd documentary was certainly pretty great. Do you think that Miami in the current climate of professional football, uh, excuse me, not professional in NCAA football can actually get back to being one of those programs again? Or do you think that the SEC is just basically burying everybody forever?
2: Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, but I do think it's a good start. I do think it's it's nice to have somebody associated with their program that clearly has been a great player and knows what he's doing. Um, I think people are underestimating how important it was for Miami to uh, snatch up Derek King, who transferred from Houston. When we did our uh, fantasy football college football draft back in August, John Lobb took Derek King number one overall. And then he's the new quarterback at Miami. He'll be an NFL quarterback too. So they have a chance to be a, a good team this year. But there's so much competition, and it's not really just about the SEC, Joe. It's about the emergence of Central Florida, it's about South Florida, it's about FIU, FAU. Twenty years ago, these programs were just getting started; they didn't even exist. And now, what would you do, Joe? If you're a, if you're Devin Singletary and you could be the fifth running back at Miami, would you do that, or would you go to Florida Atlantic and be the number one guy? You know, I mean, oh well, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly the difference. Here. and that's not, and that didn't exist 20 years ago, and now it does. And so these kids have a choice. All the games are on TV. All the games are streaming on the Internet. 20 years ago, they were not. They wanted to be on television. And now, not just in Florida, but in Texas and in California, the, all these other schools are coming up. They're becoming good. And it's about the individual as opposed to the school, as it should be. If you're a kid and you want to play in the NFL, you make your choice. Do I sit behind a, a running back? Uh, do I sit behind Chuba Hubbard at o- Oklahoma State for another year? Or do I transfer? Go somewhere else to play? And the answer is you transfer. And so that's why FIU and FAU – and Central Florida and USF, once every three or four years, they're good. They're really good because these kids develop. They're good. They leave, and then they you know re-recruit again and rebuild. Uh, Miami's a victim of that. That's the problem. They're, just, they're not going to be able to be this juggernaut of constantly bringing in kids because there's just other choices now, and I don't think that that will change. Uh, okay, over to baseball for third down. Hirano ends up signing with the uh, Mariners a couple of years ago. Joe, he goes to Arizona. Uh, Pretty good pitcher, pretty good pitcher, pretty good high leverage pitcher in late innings, but he didn't end up really being the ninth inning guy or the closer that we thought in fantasy. I guess the Diamondbacks uh, figured that out, too. They basically let him go. Uh, But I would think and we talked about this yesterday with McGill really being the only one in the ninth inning with Seattle, Marano in the AL format. And I'm guessing in a like a 15 team mix, maybe a nice little handcuff to, to have potential saves if I had to you know, put a total on Hirano's saves for the season. I'd probably put it at like five and a half or six. And maybe you get an over out of that. Maybe you don't, but worth a a, a late round dart.
4: Uh, I think you might be right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sold on McGill. I don't think you are either. Uh, Not that this team's going to have a whole lot of saves anyway, but you know, they're not going to be blowing out a lot of teams in the same sense of that. So it makes sense. Um, You know, the quote from DePoto is we're glad to have Yoshi on board. We believe his combination of experience and bat missing abilities brings needed stability to our bullpen. So, The one thing that outlies there is experience for me. That's something that typically most organizations prefer. They prefer to go with the guy who might not have the best arm in the bullpen. They prefer to go with the guy who might not be the youngest with the most strikeout upside, the guy that you want on your fantasy team to be the guy who's closing games. They tend to go with the person who has most experience because in baseball terms, it's about how do you get those three outs? Not how sexy do you get those three outs? And unfortunately that's where we always have that strain. And I think there's always been a big strain in the fantasy community because we always see those guys, like the haters of the world a couple years ago, emerge and go, oh, why can't he be the save guy? And then eventually he does become sometimes. But, I mean, this always goes back to, oh, gosh, I remember, I was trying to remember who that guy It was Greg Holland when he was young, trying to get that job away from Jonathan Broxton. And Broxton was just hanging on by a thread. He still got that job that year. And everyone was just rolling their eyes like he's nowhere near as good. Look at the K-walk ratio. Look at the K per nine. Holland's blowing guys away. It doesn't always work out that way. So, hopefully, is one of those guys where it does work out for here. Because... Like you said, we are always looking for more saves. And if you don't draft him or he goes undrafted, cause he flies under the radar, a guy that probably you want to monitor on your waiver wire.
2: Yeah. I, again, a low, a low number for prediction of saves, but you never know. He'll take him late in the draft. And we'll see. All right. And so on fourth down here, we go to a uh, Twitter post here by Tom Brady. Why this happened. I have no idea why in the world, Joe, would Tom Brady post a picture of himself either leaving or walking into a stadium? I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why he did it. Uh, he apparently is here in Miami enjoying the Super Bowl. Um, why do this? What's the point of this show? I leverage.
4: Don't, don't... Leverage. It makes it. makes It's all about leverage. Why did he clean out the suite? Were they doing work to the suite? Did they tell his wife you have to clear out your suite because we're repainting it? Could have been. Or maybe it's just leverage. It's all just leverage. Tom Brady's not going to play forever. And when Tom Brady's not playing football, he's not going to live in New England anymore. I mean, the, we all know that that's coming to an end. So he's probably going to move to Los Angeles or somewhere else because let's not forget he's from California. I mean, I think we all forget that he's from California. So why the hell if you're from California and your wife's a supermodel and all that stuff that you're going to live in cold New England have to shovel snow? Well, not that he shovels it, I'm sure. But well, 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 what, well, what does it that mean? Nothing? It means nothing. It's just a cool artistic picture of, of am I am I leaving or am I coming in? Am I coming back or am I walking away? Oh, I, guess I he like likes it. It's, the troll it's leverage.
2: I guess he likes the troll game. I never would have thought that from him. but I uh, just I think, think it's a
4: cool picture. It's a cool silhouette picture. Yeah, but
2: it, was, it was done with <laughs> a purpose, though, when you don't post something like that for nothing. So, I mean, something's coming with him. We'll just have I to think find it's
4: a metaphor for negotiation. That's what I think.
2: Maybe so. Maybe not. I mean, nobody knows. Don't know why I did it. It just popped up yesterday and made us talk about it. So I guess it was uh, mission accomplished with Tom Brady. Sure. There you go. Okay, coming up next, uh, we will dive into some fantasy baseball and, uh, of course, uh, news of a retirement in baseball as well. That's coming up next.
3: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pisapia.
2: your money where your mouth is and take a shot by opening up a sports wagering account with FanDuel, New Jersey's largest sports book. Go to FanDuel.com grid, where you'll receive a free bet of up to $500. That's a free bet of up to $500 when you open up a sports wagering account at FanDuel.com grid. Point spreads, game totals, props, parlays, and in-game wagering on college and pro sports. You're in control. Go to FanDuel.com grid. Open up your new account. Claim your free wager of up to $500 today. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER Remember to use FanDuel, you got to be in New Jersey, you got to be 21, and there are some eligibility restrictions. So make sure you check those out online. Before we get into some starting pitching discussion, we got to go back. Earlier this morning, Curtis Granderson announced his retirement. And I got to say, I've covered a lot of guys in the big leagues, and I've spoken to a lot of guys in the big leagues. And I had a chance to really cover Curtis Granderson full time this past year when he was with the Miami Marlins, and obviously a season. Uh, that I'm sure that he would admit was not his best, uh, to put it mildly. He had a negative war last year and you know certainly on the field didn't do what he would have liked to do. But off the field, the uh, Clemente winner, um, Martin Prado on my podcast, uh, said that he is the Jackie Robinson of this age, of this era. Um, Once upon a time in fantasy, hit back-to-back 40 home run seasons with the New York Yankees, 2011-2012 was actually a pretty good player too when he moved over to the New York Mets at a pretty good on-base percentage, was still fantasy relevant as of like three years ago, Um was, was a base stealer in Detroit as well. But for all the things I got to say, Joe, that he did on the field, and don't get me wrong, a great player, a great player, 344 home runs, uh, 150 steals, on-base percentage of 337. That's excellent. I'm going to remember him for more of all the things that he did off the field with his foundation and the things that he did in his hometown of Chicago. Um, You know, not even covering him full time prior to him coming with the Marlins would call me by name when I would see him in spring training. I was like, how would this guy even know my name? I was so like in awe of just how amazing he was and uh, always did things on his terms, was brought into Miami to just kind of develop some of those young kids and be a good personality and be a good guy for those kids and mission accomplished there and leaves nothing on the table, Joe, after playing uh, Major League Baseball for a total of 16 years and another four years in the minor leagues, a 20-year career. And congratulations, Joe, to Curtis Granderson, who hangs it up today.
3: Who has
4: a bright future ahead of him, too, and no matter what he chooses to do. I think he would be a fantastic president of a national league or something like that or, or you know, any sort of um, maybe a player's representative at some point or something. I think that he has the ability to be a great ambassador of the game on whatever spectrum he chooses to be a part of it. Uh, I would love to see him continue to do a lot more with inner city kids and continue to develop more black athletes into the the game right now, because I think that's glaringly missing. And I'd love to see a lot more African-American athletes in baseball, because in our youth, there were a lot more. And I think the game was better for it. And you've seen a lot of a push towards NFL, towards NBA. And baseball is a, let's face it, a, a longer potential career because you have professional baseball levels, whereas in football, you don't. And in basketball, you kind of do, but it's eh, European league and all that stuff. You could debate all that. But at the same time, I think Curtis Granderson would be a terrific broadcaster. He would be a, a terrific, uh, I mean, basically anything he wanted to do. Because he is such a a, a warm, bright man, a, a guy who knows the game, understands the game, has respect of his peers, has respect of his opponents. And I think that that's a rarity in today's game. Um, so I, I I'm, think he's, he's always done great things. He always did great things in the community when he was a, a Met. I was well aware of them living here in the New Jersey area. And I hope he just decides to do whatever makes him happy. But knowing him, and I know he's a big fa- fan of the educational programs, too. His, at Memory serves, both of his parents were teachers. So... I'm sure he's going to do something that has more to do with that, and continue to outreach and to uh, help educational programs across the board too, which is more important than any sports thing he could ever do. So, uh, a good career for Curtis Granderson, and we uh, wish him all the best to uh, a Hall of Fame guy, whether or not he gets into the Hall of Fame. But I think as a as a ball player, as a person, you, you'd say Hall of Fame guy. You know what yeah, I mean? I think no, that's no the best way to put that. it.
2: Yeah, uh, he told me, and he and he's told others too. I don't I don't think that it was an exclusive of any kind, but he did tell me. Um, that coaching is not going to be in his DNA. Uh, I don't think that that's what he wants to do. I think after 20 years of playing, he's uh, he's done being on the field. I think maybe a special assistant of some kind could be possible, but I do think broadcasting is without a doubt something that he could shine in very significantly. If it was me, uh, I would be after him on all of the networks. I, I, could, I could look at him as making him one of the primary guys um, on a network. And I got to say this, and of course, you know, uh, everyone who knows me knows how close I am with Cliff Floyd. And uh, I think that there needs to be in broadcasting and on television a lot more voices uh, from African-Americans Agreed. on TV and radio. I mean, Agreed. there's there are not enough. And you talk about, um, you know. I mean,
4: MLB Network would scoop him up tomorrow. If, if he wants, I'm sure the offer is already there. Don't you think? Oh,
2: I would think so. I would also, you know, honestly, uh, I am not a huge fan of the Sunday night crew on ESPN either. And I would, I would immediately make him the primary guy there. I would, I would make him the. Would you rather
4: prep. be calling games if you're him, or would you rather be the studio guy? Because one's traveling and all that stuff, and you know, different kind of prep, different kind of job. You know, when you're calling, you know, the number two chair in a baseball game, it's very different than sitting at the desk and getting to go over every game, and then you go home at night. It's a very different kind of a. a feel well, they all stuff.
2: they all do it. They all do it. So I you know. I mean, look, Smoltz does MLB. He does the games. Cliff right. does. M- Cliff does MLB. He does the Blue Jays. Um, they, they all do both. I mean, it's it's a it's a money making proposition. Well, Whatever he wants
4: to do. I'm sure the world. Yeah, is he'll be here, fine. You know? He'll
2: be he'll be fine. And, and again, I would love to see him there on Sunday night. I would love to see him um, any, anywhere where where he could be the primary person, to be honest, uh, if I was Fox. I would make him the main guy on the World Series, in the postseason. I would. I mean, may- maybe not doing the game with Joe Buck. I mean, right out of the box. But again, I mean, look who they put with Joe Buck on football. That guy's the number one guy right now. So who knows? I mean, Tony Romo. I mean, who's to say he's not? Well, that Tony would be replacing Romo? who did the World Series this past year. Smoltz, Smoltz. Smoltz. Yeah,
4: that's tough. I mean, Smoltz does a great job. I really like Smoltz but on there. Some they-
2: people don't like him. I mean, who knows? I I like John Smoltz. I know John Smoltz, but again, I'm just saying that there there's a wealth of opportunity out there for him. I think we both would agree on that. Yes. And and um. And the game needs that in a very big way, in my opinion, as well. All right, um, let's take a look at some some, uh, starting pitching here. And uh, it's really interesting here. To to, I've been tracking now the NFBC. It's like one of the things that I do every day now is I look at the NFBC updates and after the drafts, who's moving up and who's moving down. Starting to get more uh, involved in it now. Uh, Joe, who are some of those later options that you're looking at right now? Because right now it's like strikeouts has become such an important part of the game when you're drafting. Uh, who are some of those guys for you that fit that bill that if you don't get them at the top, you can get them near the bottom?
4: Well, if I asked you, Craig, how many guys, how many pitchers struck out 200 or more hitters last year? How many would you say? What would be the number if you took a, took a stab at it, took a sure. guess?
2: Uh, okay, I'll say, I'll say eight. Uh, higher, Bob. 200 uh, or more? Uh, 200 or more. I'll say 14. Higher, Bob. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, Come on, take look. Come on, give one more. 21
4: higher 30 24 that's 24 odd. 24 and then you had let's see one so maybe two, they're not as important as other one, one. that's a bad analysis well they thing. are no see they are and i'll tell you why is because it's very easy to fall behind and if you don't address it it's very hard to play catch up and you will be very far behind in strikeouts now if i told you in that was in 2009 in, in 2019 excuse me in 2009 there were only 10 pitchers that struck out 200 or more guys. That's it. Just 10 that year. Some of the names, by the way, on that list are fun. Felix Hernandez, Giovanni Gallardo, uh, Dan Harron John Lester, oh, John Lester, Javier Vasquez for Atlanta that year, uh, Tim Lincecum. So what's changed so much is the hitter approach, hitter approach has changed significantly where strikeouts are not in nearly as big of a negative in the way people look at baseball now. So guys are trying to hit more home runs and the approach is very different than what it was even 10 years ago. And, Someone said to me actually on Twitter, because I tweeted this out, and they said, well, then how do you approach it? And and would you just approach it the same way you always do? Because it's just the way the, the league is. And I said, no, because I think 10 years ago, you could not sacrifice whip and ERA to the extent you can now in order to make sure you get strikeouts. And I think you almost have to. So when you're looking at this, it's not only the evolution of pitching, guys who throw harder than they did 10 years ago, just generally speaking, but also the evolution of approach in hitting. And I believe we're at a point now where you have that, And it's changed so much that if you it's not enough to have one 200 strikeout guy on your rotation, you have to have two to three, maybe four in order to just keep pace. And I don't even mean win strikeouts in season long. I mean, keep pace. So here are some guys that have high K per nines that you can look at that aren't going quite as elite. But one guy is like in that, you know, second or third SP tier is is Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray is going to have a high ERA, but the strikeout total is there. And these are some guys who have K per nines above eight. Robbie Ray is at 12.13 last year. So still a high rate there. Chris Archer is another one. I come back to Chris Archer, and we touched on him yesterday. Not healthy last year at all. Chris Archer, historically in his career, very high strikeout rate, sometimes at the cost of some whip and ERA and all that other stuff. However, if he is healthy in this scenario, in the National League, I think that's a guy you could take late, who can make a run at 200 strikeouts and come significantly cheaper. Max Fried, another guy, kind of a surprising guy when you look at K per nine that you might not think might be in this higher tier group, but he was actually 22nd overall with a 94 K per nine no. last year. So do you think Max Fried is a guy that you would trust going into this year to give you a case? Because I do.
2: Yeah, I think this name of all the ones on the list is the one potentially that I'm the most interested in. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. that's why because yeah, I think of the Max team he Fried- pitches on, <clears throat> and, and he really showed a lot last year. Like he, I, I think some, I think he's one of those pitchers that just simply took a long time to develop, and we weren't really sure about him, and we thought two years. I mean, remember he was their top prospect under uh, Coppola when Coppola was the GM a few years ago. And he fell back a lot. You know, other guys kind of jumped him. Some people thought Kyle Wright was better than Max Freed, Joe. Uh, going into the year, I think Kyle Wright was going ahead of Max Fried and being auctioned for more than Max Fried in drafts. So, uh, you know, some guys just take some time, and I, and I do like him, and I'm going to own him this fantasy season. I am. This is one of the. This is probably the only guy in on the list that I'm looking at that I'm like, okay, like this is one that I want to take a shot on.
4: All right. Well, some other guys too, and we're talking like not everyone's perfect, but I'm just talking, let's say you fall behind on K's a little bit. You want to try to make up some ground. Uh, Joey Lucchese, pretty good strikeout rate. Also showed you some moments of having, you know being a pretty good pitcher that could take another level in his game. I do think there's another level for the case. He He's going at a very low ADP right now, which makes it uh, very nice. Uh, Descalfani with the Reds. I think Descalfani is another guy. He's gonna have an, you know eight and a half or so K per nine. That's a very strong number. Joe Musgrove with the Pirates is another guy. Uh, Julio Teheran has had a very good strikeout rate. Now, I think Teheran's one of these pitchers that getting out of Atlanta could be a good thing for him. He seemed to just like keep spinning his wheels there. He was there his whole career. He never quite lived up to the hype of what he, they wanted him to be, but at the same time, he's been a pretty durable guy. That's another guy, because of the durability, because of the change of, change of scenery, I think actually could be a, a positive for him. And the last two are Reynaldo Lopez of the White Sox and Jacob Junis of the Kansas City Royals. Again, maybe not the highest profile pitchers, maybe not the pitchers are going to get you the most wins or the best ERA, but if you fall behind in K's, I think they are some pitchers that you can really look at and say, all right, I need to make up some ground here or even just keep pace. I think K's are, you know, the new thing where maybe used to be batting average with hitters or stolen bases with hitters. K's are the new tiebreaker for me because
2: I can't fall behind and I want guys in my rotation who are going to get those strikeouts. All right, we'll take a quick tie bat on fantasy sports today. Come back with some ADP, high, low, the same in March. Find out next. Don't go away.
3: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizapia.
2: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizapia, with you here on the show. We're headed toward the Super Bowl on Sunday, and uh, my wish did come true, Joe. I did, I did uh, ask. I mean, people are asking me, like, where am I? Why am I not at Radio Row? It's like, it's, it's so annoying all week long. I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't know I me. Mean, I guess that's a good thing that people miss me or they think that I should be doing that. But uh, well, uh clearly, they you know, don't spend as much time as we spend together. Exactly. I, I, they, they would know. It would be like, exactly I mean, enough after six Jeez. months. That's enough. So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, to to give people an idea, as I said, uh, you know, the option was there. I am quite sure SportsGrid would have had me there and all that. It's just uh, I've done so many and I don't want to sound old and crusty, but I've done so many of these Super Bowls before. And, um, you know, quite frankly, I-, I don't love the audio. I don't love the programming. And it's just a lot of times you're not really getting uh, great stuff from these. Now, look, the uh, the opportunity to interview Tua Tagalova yesterday on Radio Row. Yes. Like, OK, like there's that was great. If you can get Tua to come over and sit down with you on Radio Row. Like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Ron Rivera was there yesterday the new head coach of the Washington Redskins. So the, the the issue is for me with Radio Row as it was 10 years ago, and it's different now because uh, the great shows, and by the way, great shows here on SportsGrid, great shows across the country, all the ESPN crews, uh, Dan Patrick show, Dan Lebitard's show, Colin Coward show, these are the names that everybody knows in the industry. None of them are there on Radio Row. They all like set up shop around areas. It, it wasn't like that before. When I used to cover the Super Bowl when I'm back in my day, they were all there. They were all in the media center and and everybody who was anybody came through. Now it's a little bit different. I'm not saying that it's bad by any means, but for somebody like myself, it's more of the Super Bowl for me is more of a very cool event to cover for the first time. It was to me covering the Super Bowl and getting to go to the Super Bowl for the first time when I went um, to Atlanta, I believe, yes, to Atlanta was amazing. Radio Row was am- I met Wayne Gretzky. Like it was like I was, I mean, remember this was, I was, was I 30? I don't know, but it was incredible. I was, I was in in shock. It was amazing. And then the second time I went, it was, wow, I get to go to Super Bowl and it's in Miami. It was amazing again. Uh, Then two years later, for some reason, they brought the Super Bowl back to Miami again, Joe. I don't know. It was like two and three or two and four years or something like that. And I saw Prince. At the halftime show, and I saw Ashton oh, Kutcher. you got to
4: see Prince in the rain play Purple Rain. I'm jealous of that man. That's Ashton
2: cool. Kutcher was there with uh, Demi Moore, like I, I uh, Cal Ripken. It was incredible; like it was still pretty cool. But Joe, at that point, it was like, man, I think I'm good. You know, like I've been through this a bunch of times. I didn't have kids at the time, um, and then there was one more Super Bowl. I'm like, all right, I'll do another one. I went to Tampa, which was actually a great game too. Um, the Super Bowl where James Harrison had that 90 yard uh, return mm-hmm. for touchdown at yep. Pittsburgh, Arizona. And, great game and then, one of the better after, games too. exactly exactly that was a phenomenal game and then Holmes in the back of the end zone and after that I said you know what I'm done I, I think I've uh, if there's a company that wants me to cover their Super Bowl I am very well versed and educated and I feel one of the strongest things that I do is my ability to interview people so yes if that's what they want me to do great but I am certainly not going to push it so with Sirius XM I really uh, you know for all these years I didn't push it working for them and um, but long story short I think it's too late story. for that, but yeah. Uh, short story, short story long. Mm-hmm. Saturday night, taste to the NFL, Hollywood, Florida. Uh, the old people who were there are still there, and I am in the house for the taste. Of the <laughs>
4: the old people that are still there, and Craig Mish, <laughs>
2: I am there. I am in the house covering taste of the NFL Saturday <laughs> night, so I will be covering it for I don't know Twitter. <laughs> I mean, covering it for for Sports Grid, FTSY, my podcast, whatever, but. I'll do be doing some interviews. Can you just I'll enjoy it. Do you have thing. to cover everything? Uh, I'm getting a media credential. The tickets are 700 bucks. So I, I think I got to do some work there. Yeah, I think I pro- I don't think I mean, if I bought a sure. ticket, I could just enjoy it. Yeah, but I, I think I got to do the right thing. I mean, they're letting me in the door, right? I
4: guess so. I mean, by covering it, you could also you could just go and enjoy it and then talk about it on Monday. Yeah, right? but that's not enough. That's like what enough. do you have to do to cover it. You have to like you have to like be one of the people who takes pictures of all the food and then you put them on Instagram uh, and stuff and nobody likes that guy.
2: I think, well, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I think there's a red carpet. There's a red carpet for an hour. So I'm thinking I'll go like, take some pictures of like some celebrities and post those. Maybe I'll interview a couple and then, yeah. And then I'll go to the, and then I'll go inside and I'll, you know, take some pictures, maybe do a couple interviews. I would say, I'm thinking between five or ten tweets. I'm not a huge crazy tweeter, but
4: I think I think that would do the job. And no, you're then- not. A, you're not an annoying tweeter. I, I don't know how these people just tweet all day. There's, I got a couple of people, even like with people who work for me. Or I just see them on Twitter every time I'm on Twitter. They're on Twitter, and I'm not on Twitter all that much, but I'm there enough that I'm annoyed by Twitter. But I don't. I'm like, what do you guys do all day? How do you do this? And then they get in these conversations and these arguments with these people, and I'm like, what? There's got to be more to life in this. I don't understand this at all. I'm on a lot.
2: I'm on Twitter a lot,
4: but, but a lot that's of it different, is because you're breaking news.
2: But here is the difference. You're not having
4: arguments with some egg about, you know, whether or not John, you know, VR is going to have a good season. You know what I mean? Oh,
2: I definitely don't do that. But no. but I also think there's a critical difference of being on Twitter as opposed to tweeting. Like, that's the difference. Like, I'm checking the news feed. Fair. I'm checking that to is see what's correct.
4: happening. You're right. Good point. But
2: but every single second of the day. I'm not. And it's and it's funny that if you you wouldn't go back and check my specific feed, but in uh, I, I signed up for Twitter, I think in 2009 or two, whatever it started. I don't know, like maybe 10 years and the, the uh, from last Thursday to yesterday was the longest period of time that I had not sent one thing ever since I started. Mm-hmm. And people were like, is he OK? What's going on? <laughs> I'm like, <"Are> they <laughs> really like, oh, were I'm now, just old. I just don't like anything. I, I, anymore. I did no. have a, I did have a, uh, you know, a passing in the family. So I just you know, I took a break oh, well, for a that, while. That's true. You did. Right. And so I, I did. So, I, you know, I thought that this would be a good time to just kind of step away. And then the Kobe Bryant thing happened. I'm like, what could I possibly add to this conversation? Nothing. You Nothing. So exactly. So I mean, none I, of us can really add anything to that conversation. You know, that's that's you we would just be saying the same things that everybody yeah. else is saying. And and, and again, it has been said very eloquently. So uh, moral of the story, Saturday night, follow me on Twitter. I'll be covering the taste of the NFL. For food interesting, picks, Interesting, interesting for Mish. some. Well, I probably won't do that. But interesting for some, not interesting for others. Jeff Bridges is going to be there. He is the, the dude. Host. So that, that'll be something that I'll be interested in, uh, maybe interviewing him.
4: Are you a Lebowski, Craig Mish? Of course, I've watched that
2: movie. Thank goodness. Now, did you know that they're doing
4: a spinoff movie with John Turturro's character? I did not. Oh, yeah, it's it's already filmed and uh, it's apparently him coming out of prison and it's him and Bobby Cannavale. And apparently John Saturo got the okay from the Coen brothers to kind of spurn off with this character of, as everyone knows, from the Big Lebowski, Jesus, who uh, who is one of the more intimidating bowlers on the bowling scene over there in the Big Lebowski. So uh, so keep an eye out for that one, because
2: that looks like a fun. That's good info. Is Jeff Bridges in that or no?
4: I don't know if he makes a cameo. I can only uh, I can only hope that he does. I'm not sure when the release date is, though, but I just read about it um, yesterday uh, that this movie was coming out. And I was very excited because I thought, oh, my gosh, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a Coen Brothers spinoff of of Lebowski, too, and they're going to be involved in it now. They're not. But. You know, John Totoro is a pretty darn good, uh, you know, he's been around with the Coen brothers in almost every one of their films. We're talking like Miller's Crossing. We're talking Barton Fink. I mean, he's worked with them for Mm -hmm. years. So if anybody can do that, he can. There's actually a trailer right now. It's called The Jesus Rolls Uh, 2020 is actually coming out this year. So if you want to go see the trailer, it's out on
2: YouTube right now. All right, I'll check it out. Uh, Okay, back to some baseball conversation. Let's take a look at some average draft position, high, low, or the same. These are players between 300 and 350 in the NFBC in average draft position, Joe. So these are players in general, not being drafted at all in 12-team leagues, Fifteen teamers toward the end of a draft, just simply making a decision, and of course in the NFBC they're being drafted because clearly they have an NFBC ADP. Dylan Carlson of the St. Louis Cardinals Joe checks in at three eleven. Higher, lower, or the same in March?
4: I'm gonna say higher. You know, I, I just feel like now that Ozuna's not the uh, the guy who's gonna stop him, and now that Martinez is not there anymore, I just think it's gonna be Dylan Carlson's time, and I think this is one of those things that uh, there's no way he's going post three hundred ADP. By the time we get to, you know, I would say (laughs) probably when pitchers and catchers report even because I think once he shows up there and once he's in spring training, people are going to start to be more aware of him. I only think this ADP is where it is right now is because I think the casual public of fantasy baseball is not truly aware of him yet. And the more they listen to shows like this or Black Book, they're going to become more and more aware of them. And when they are aware, they're going to start inflating the ADP. And I'll be part of that. I'll be part of that group doing that. And that's fine but I think that he has a lot of upside. I think he's a guy that you're going to see play probably the bulk eventually when you look back at the end of the season. And I do think he is a, a prospect that is going to make a difference for them. And they've basically carved the path. I mean, it's hard not to argue that they, the Cardinals have carved out a path for him. And the only thing that could change that is a trade here. We're for a Nolan Arenado type guy, which hasn't happened yet. And if it hasn't happened yet, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would say higher. How about you, Craig? Don't you think he
2: cracks the 300? Yeah, I think so too. This totally, is easy. Totally agree. Th- yeah, I think he could nice. even crack 250 if he has a great spring. Yeah, I, I would think that all of the drafts in March, he would. No, no doubt. Easy one for me. Uh, how about Anthony Santander on the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles? Uh, kind of a late season bloomer here. Uh, very popular player, by the way, in Baltimore. Uh, ADP of 330 for Santander. I, I suppose if Baltimore does nothing between now and, and March, that there's a good chance he rises. But there'll be some question marks about him. Not a, not a strong pedigree to do what he did last year.
4: No, there isn't. And I, because he kind of plays in anonymity in Baltimore, I don't think this is going to move, but I actually think he's going to be a useful guy. I think he's going to be very useful in AO only leagues. He was a guy that uh, Chris Meany and I were on for a while when he was uh, being useful as he was in that all-real lineup for very, very cheap. He was like a, a min-salary player who was getting you nine points a night, basically. And that's not something this needs at. That's that's very important. Those kind of guys are good lineup builders. allows you to go up to the top of the pitching board. I like him more in DFS for that same reason. When you can play the matchups with him, he's super cheap. I don't know if I love him in season-long baseball of any kind, but I think in DFS especially, I don't think ADP is going to rise because the profile
2: on him is very low and where he plays kind of suppresses it as well. Okay, and uh, let's do one more while we have the chance. Uh, Jose Peraza who now seems to have an opening here to play every day. But man, I've been down this Peraza road, Joe. How many times? You know, like- does, he have the, does he have as much or has that window closed a little bit with Moreland coming back? I feel like that window
4: got a lot tighter with Moreland. Well, who's Moreland the Moreland played baseman? a lot last year. Is, is it Chavis sure? Yeah. Well, Chavis is either the first baseman or the second baseman.
2: Yeah. And Moreland you know and
4: Chavis are infinitely better than Peraza. I think Peraza is basically like super utility right now because he can play the outfield. He can play the infield. He can pinch run. I think it's that kind of thing for him right now.
2: Perez is one of those guys that is, I think, a borderline doesn't make the team. I can see that too. It is it's a borderline right before opening day DFA. You know, like I could see that. And then he's in that DFA. And he'll he'll latch
4: on with another team
2: in the minors. He'll latch on with another in team the minors, in the minors, in the minors, and then have to build his way back up. I think that the shine is off him. So uh, I agree with you. I'm just not going to touch this player.
4: Peraza is so- also a cautionary tale of overrating guys who have giant stolen base number in the minor leagues because he did. And there's a lot of guys that have that. And you have to realize that pitchers in the minor leagues don't do nearly as good of a job of keeping guys close to first base and catchers are runners. So you can't look at this guy and say, oh, my God, this guy stole 80 bases and, you know, all this stuff. No, that's not going to happen in the big league level. Don't don't overrate that.
2: We got to take a quick time out. We'll have the best of the first hour next. And then uh, we'll we'll come back for hour two. We got Buck Walter coming up on the show. So stay tuned. More fantasy sports today. Don't go away.
3: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia.
2: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we wrap up the first hour of the show, here's what you missed. I had a chance to really cover Curtis Granderson full-time this past year when he was with the Miami Marlins, and obviously a season uh, that I'm sure that he would admit was not his best, uh, to put it mildly. He had a negative war last year and um, you know certainly on the field didn't do what he would have liked to do. But off the field, the uh, Clemente winner, um, Martin Prado on my podcast, uh, said that he is the Jackie Robinson of this age, of this era. Um, once upon a time in fantasy, hit back-to-back 40 home run seasons with the New York Yankees, 2011-2012 was actually a pretty good player too when he moved over to the New York Mets at a pretty good on base percentage was still fantasy relevant as of like three years ago, um, was, was a base stealer in Detroit as well. But for all the things I got to say, Joe, that he did on the field and don't get me wrong, a great player, a great player, 344 home runs, uh, 150 steals on base percentage of three thirty seven. That's excellent. I'm going to remember him for more of all the things that he did off the field with his foundation and the things that he did at his hometown of Chicago. Um, you know, not even covering him full time prior to him coming with the Marlins would call me by name when I would see him in spring training. I was like, how would this guy even know my name? I was so like in awe of just how amazing he was and uh, always did things on his terms, was brought into Miami to just kind of develop some of those young kids and be a good personality and be a good guy for those kids and mission accomplished there and leaves nothing on the table, Joe, after playing uh, Major League Baseball for a total of 16 years and another four years in the minor leagues, a 20-year career. And congratulations to Curtis-Branderson, who hangs it up today.
1: Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up.